But before we get to that, let's talk about Aloran's secret. I will say I find the quantum viruses very interesting because, like, I know they describe them as, like, a space-time virus, but basically all it is is, like, genetically focused radiation poisoning, the way they yes. describe this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um because, like, when they describe the effects of it, it's like, that's just, like, straight-up radiation poisoning mm-hmm. cr- cranked up yeah. to 11, basically. Yeah. So, this is definitely the... intentional uh, on Ka's part. Like, that's the nuclear option, isn't it? Yeah, yes. I'm about to say, it's got it to is. be, because it's definitely, like, the... It's the U.S. dropping the bombs yeah. on, Hiro- you know, yeah. Nagasaki and Hiroshima, you know. Um, yep. It's not even subtle. Like, even as a kid, I was like... Ah! understand this allegory you know (laughs) (laughs) and like also this is something's like obviously with the vietnam war as well this is like this is like agent orange yes killing people with cancer yeah afterwards friendly and enemies alike yeah like this is non-discriminatory weaponry yes uh and it's i am glad (laughs) Obviously, that Elfangor is horrified by this. Um, and I think it's interesting, considering this can be an allegory for Agent Orange or the atomic bombs, that uh, the Andalites totally denied it to the public. Mm-hmm. Which the U.S. did try to silence that for a little while, or at least silence the sheer effect that it had like in japan Mm -hmm. they weren't allowed to talk about it at all like you were not allowed to speak about it you know acknowledge it it took it took basically Mm -hmm. took the u.s leaving for japan to finally be like okay now we can finally unpack all of that you know i mean it's also can't be ignored and actually i'm not massively well informed about all of the particulars for which i apologize and i hope i'm not speaking out of i've i some information but the U.S. didn't need to drop the bomb on Japan. No. It was a show of force against Russia. Just like, yeah. look, this is what we can do. The war against in in Japan would have been won at the rate it was going by the Allies anyway. Well, okay. I I do somewhat study like like I, I used to be uh, like I am an anime fan, but like that kind of expanded into like studying actual like real Japanese history and. To an extent, no. The U.S. did not have to drop the bombs, but also mm-hmm. they knew that if they did go after the homeland, they would have been fighting for every single inch that yep. they gained. Like the Japanese were some of the most ferocious fighters, and it was it was basically a case of like we want to do a show of force, and we don't want to throw away more lives on this. So it was a case yeah. of like they have plenty of excuses why they wanted to do it, so they did. Yeah. So like it wasn't a case of like oh they would have just all surrendered it's like well no yeah, they really wouldn't have because yeah, the no. Japanese were absolutely ferocious fighters but at the same time it's like they did not need to yeah do it the they way wanted they did. to end the war yeah fast yeah basically they want they wanted to be done with it and they're like Quick this will do and that clean. yeah <laughs> yeah not clean <laughs> not clean Quick. no but a decisive Quick. stroke very decisively yes sharply which is basically exactly what um Aloran was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. He he down. basically took the the idea of well, uh we're losing this Hork-Bajir war. Uh we definitely don't want the Yerks to have all of these Hork-Bajir. So instead, 
because we can't defeat the Yerks, we're just going to defeat the hork so they don't have the bodies to infest. Yep. That's all. Yeah, it's like it's like a siege. Or it's just like you take away the resources. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that is such a cold-blooded yep. approach to take, yep. which makes you wonder where, um, again, now I'm really excited to read the Hawk Bajir Chronicles when I get there. <laughs> but it's like the fact that that was the choice that was made and the kind of person it takes to make that choice. And then you have to wonder just like, is it the trauma that makes him talk about it so cavalierly now? Mm-hmm. How hard was it for him to make that choice in the first place? Probably like, because, again, like you see him ranting at them, like how they're hypocrites. Like you can hear some of his own. I feel like mm-hmm. his ranting and yelling at them, like, what does it matter how you kill them between a tail blade, mm-hmm. tail blade, a shredder, or a quantum virus? Like that's his internal argument with himself. That's what we're hearing. Yeah. Him trying that's to justify justification what he did for it. to himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things. I think we've talked about it before. It might have been the last book, but it's just like if it had worked, he'd be a hero. It would be different. Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't talk about using a quantum virus, probably. No. But they, it would have worked. And it's just like, we got the result we needed. Yes. Yeah. And it's oh, the, the Yerks all surrendered. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. There, um, I'm a big fan of World War Z. Can absolutely recommend if you like any kind of zombie fiction. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a couple of characters in that. You see them in the aftermath of making horrible decisions that cost lives but Mm -hmm. accomplish the goal they were trying to do versus this which is somebody having to live day in day out with not only the guilt but also the failure it's it's something you see in history so often it's such a horrible thing but like part of like humanity's existence is there has always had to be someone out there who has made the i wouldn't even call like the bad choice but for good reasons um you know, like mm-hmm. the road, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like these people are trying yeah. to do the right thing, and they shoulder that burden and become like the bad guy, so other people don't have. To. But well, in this, this is... case, mm-hmm. I don't think it was like I don't think it was the case with Alorn because, like, that's what he wants to be. He wants to be the hero who made the tough choice for a good reason. But it's like I don't think he can mm-hmm. even admit to himself that he was the hero. He knows that he was wrong, yeah. but he just will not admit it. Yeah, and I suppose this is again, and things I do know because of the pain in Danielle's voice when they talk about it. Knowing that Jake is going to have to do some shit, and this clearly being a parallel to that, one fear. <laughs> I say one fear, like it isn't just the rest of Animorphs canon. <laughs> it's like you staring at the future, like I don't like that, Chief. <laughs> I'm in danger. Yeah, pretty much. But <laughs> I, it's a little bit, and again, this, it's so chock full of foreshadowing, this book, mm-hmm. but the sort of choices that the kids are going to have to make. Yeah. And the different outlooks you can have on the decisions you have to make in war and the yeah. toll it takes to be the person making those decisions. Mm-hmm. And also the resentment that can come from having to be the person that mm-hmm. makes the choice. And the way people treat you for having been the one to make it. Yeah. Yeah. When he says just like hypocrites and just like, yeah. yeah. If it, again, if I'd, I was the one that pulled the trigger, I pushed the button because none of you would have. And now you hate me for being the one that did it. Mm-hmm. Yep. We see That's that exactly. in Jake's attitude towards Rachel in books. 
Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he sees in her the stuff that he would be willing to do, but he doesn't want to have to. And he can mm-hmm. hate her for it because it's easier than confronting <laughs> his own. So, I love that you're doing the nervous giggling they make when I, when I point this shit out. <laughs> at least he's like self-aware enough to acknowledge like he knows what he's doing to her. So yeah. like that's at mm. least a small that's, redemption. That's true. But, that is true. <laughs> but even then, like he still does it because again, he's the one like he says like mm-hmm. she she does the things that I can't. But he's still the one leading her to do those things. So in, to some yeah. extent, he still shoulders the burden and blame. Yeah. Also, I think we've said before, it's just like, he is the way he is with Rachel. One, because she's like him. But two, because he knows she can handle it. Yeah. Which is a yeah. horrifyingly upsetting thing. That he knows the limits of his soldiers. Mm-hmm. He would never yell at Cassie like that. He only ever yells at Tobias like that when he's really angry and upset. He has lost his control when he yells at other people like that. Rachel, he'll yell at. Marco, he might, because Marco, he knows, can take it too. Mm Because the two of them, like, fence words like that. And it is that notion of he can let things drop with Rachel in a way he can't with the others. Because he is the general and she is the lieutenant. So... Uh, children. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the things, like, K.A. get a lot of shit wrong. Uh, I haven't, I don't think I've pulled any punches in that respect. Um, no, we, we call it as we see it as we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this, um, this particular uh, viewpoint on war mm-hmm. uh, is probably one of the the things i took away the most from the series and i think a lot of people took away the most when i say like there aren't any conservative animorphs fans and if you are a conservative conservative animorphs fan like what the fuck happened um it's because of shit like this right where it is so understandable even at a young age of exactly yeah of exactly how just fucked up war is how yes the point of a war is just to kill the enemy that is the whole point it's to kill them until they give up and how terrible that is and how it can warp uh people's minds and in some cases do uh do incredible damage um and how there are always people hurt who weren't even involved in the fighting and just that it destroys everything that it touches the point of war is destruction whether you're a soldier killing the enemy or whether you're a general commanding a drone strike uh the the point is to destroy until the other side gives up and that was something that i picked up on really well um and it is one of the things i think that they got really right in terms of uh, a message coming across and they'll swear up and down that they didn't intend 
to put a message into these books. Like the the message that's here is just because of their own personal beliefs, right? Yeah. Um and it they they have said in interviews that they only realized the impact that they had like years and years and years later when they had adults coming up to them saying these books changed my outlook yeah. on life. Mm -hmm. Um and it uh it's true. Uh this this is like the one thing that I can point to and say that that is where my particular viewpoint on war comes from. Uh and it's it's interesting to to see it all laid out as an adult and be like yep i can i can definitely see all of the little pieces that i just kind of absorbed in the background as a kid um but now i can point to the individual things uh and it's it's wild are you kids read animals <laughs> Maybe maybe talk to them about it as you yes. do. Have regular conversations. <laughs> Check in. Yeah. Don't Tell worry if the kid starts kicking down an anthill looking very distressed. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them that the hork is here to serve better. Oh yeah. But uh but yeah, it's there is a lot of good in here. The good definitely yeah. outweighs the bad. But the, all the issues that we've pointed out and that we're going to continue pointing out at its core the story that's being told here i think is incredibly admirable yeah and it's incredibly engaging it is a good powerful story yeah. like the fact that we're able to talk so much about it as we <laughs> nominally like this hours is and hours. book three is going to be another recording okay i think we can safely call that now yeah so and it's good. Yeah. And I love that my friend was like, hey, I want to do an Animorphs podcast talking about these books. And that we are by no means the only one doing it. <laughs> no, there are so many. <laughs> because there are so many people wanting to talk about these books yeah. and the impact that they had on us yeah. or are having on us. They were really the cornerstone of a lot of 90s kids' experiences. Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways yeah i mean again like i said i grew up and i'm still living with my conservative family members but like i remember it was books like this that helped me kind of have a moment of just like hold up wait a minute like maybe some of the stuff they're telling me is not as great as they are thinking you know mm -hmm. like the stories of the war and how awful it was and just making young me pause and think and consider things that i wouldn't have otherwise and I feel like also just like seeing these kids struggle and push against what they were told to do and told had to be done helped, you know, it helped me a lot when I was younger. Like these books were, well, I know one reason I hold them so dear is they were a very big escape for me during a very stressful time in my life. And it's kind of like people joke about like, yeah, these books are for kids. They're so terrifying. It's like, you know, sometimes that's what a kid needs when they're stressed or scared. It's like sometimes seeing a person their age going through worse. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. it's catharsis get through yeah. yeah and it's 
cat. It's also one of those things where, like, it is, it's sneaky. Hmm. Like, if a parent picks up one of these books and turns to a random page, they're probably going to see, like, one of Marco's Superman jokes or, like, I kick flip into the sun. They're not going to read all of this stuff because a lot of the horror in this stuff is contextual. Very well hidden, yeah. Like, even if you did read some of the horror, yeah, you wouldn't know it. it yeah, and it, it doesn't, you don't, you don't experience it and like take the message from it unless you've like been reading Mm -hmm. um and uh i think that is is part of oh my god cat (laughs) (laughs) i think that is part of uh part of its power is that like a lot of kids ended up reading these books with their parents just being like oh yeah it's just a it's just a fun series with kids turning into animals like it's just it's just a fun romp um and like the kids now are looking back and like why did my parents let me read this and it's because like if they didn't know they they look at it and the number of books that i read that my parents bought me Mm -hmm. that had content that i should not have probably been reading at that age uh is a lot because you know you see the cover and you're like oh it's like a fantasy dragon book that'll be fun or like, oh, it's a book where they turn into animals. Yeah, that looks funny. Look at her look at her face. It's all long like a horse. Like <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh they don't they don't necessarily they don't see it. Mm-mm. Yeah. I can it's definitely attest to that because like I know, like, years later, talking to my mom about the books, like, telling her, like, oh, yeah, this is what ha- used to happen. Like, remember those books I used to read? This is what used to happen. And then, like, seeing, like, the eyes slowly widen and widen and widen. <laughs> it's like, yes, mother, you let me read a book about war and violence and trauma and all kinds of awful things. It's like, you were worried about Harry Potter. You should have been paying attention to animals. Yes. Yeah. There was a big stink about Harry Potter. Oh, trust me, I know. Mother and I sat down and had a good long talk about that once. Jesus. Harry Potter ain't shit. Yeah, yeah, but she'd heard some. She'd read some crackpot email. Like this was back in the nineties, where mm-hmm. still like emails were like the main people would main way people would spread around like rumors about like mm-hmm. like J.K. Rowling. Like apparently, like she was like dissing God in an interview or like confessed to be a Satanist. I'm just like, uh, no, you're not taking these books from me. But also, no, there's like literally no Satan in this book, and so. <laughs> Yeah, she like she's gonna take it from me, and it was just like young me was just like no gentle pat, no mother. (laughs) Yeah, Harry Potter got all the flack because uh, wizard. It was it was so mainstream, Mm -hmm. like it exploded in such a way. Whereas animorphs were just a scholastic book fair item. It's strange to me because like when I was in grade school, I really feel like animorphs was just as it was just as read and just as popular as Harry Potter. But mm-hmm. nobody really talked about it. Yeah. It's like, I don't have, it's like everyone had read an Animorphs book in school, but you didn't talk about Animorphs. Yeah. Probably because yeah. they didn't slap it into a movie and the TV show was so awful. Nobody talks about it. <laughs> no one talks about the TV show. God, I remember watching the first episode and being like, I was so excited, and then they did the first episode, and I was like, "Oh, I was like, that's where we went wrong. with this." It was, oh, that's bad. Anyway, we should probably get back to this book. Yes. Yeah, we got to finish book two at least. We got to finish book two. All right, okay. So Chapman lunges. 
at Aloran. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> he fucking punches Aloran in the face. I do appreciate just like humans. <laughs> you could push them over so easy, but they've got that upper body strength. They can pull yep. themselves up in the trees, and it turns out they're pretty good at punching. Yep. <laughs> It's like they uh, always a... describe humans as looking helpless, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but a human can also punch your lights out, so checkmate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's enough to catch Aloran by surprise, even if it doesn't hurt, and then um, uh, Elfangor like, swipes with the tail uh, to slam <laughs> slams Aloran's head mm-hmm. with, the, with the side of his tail mm-hmm. and just knocks him out. And yeah. I saw triumph on Chapman's face. Triumph. I should have known then. I should have realized. Instead, I went to the medical kit and with shaking hands, pulled out a tranquilizer hypo. I emptied it into my mad prints. It would keep him down for hours. I appreciate the fact that he actually gets a tranquilizer and doesn't mm-hmm. just expect this head injury to keep Aloran down for Yeah. <laughs> Genre savvy Elfangor in some ways. Or maybe that's just like good soldiering. Just like knocking yeah. somebody out or punching somebody out is no guarantee of how long they're going to be unconscious for. Mm-hmm. Also, partially plot convenience. This is a tool that's going True. to hurt us later. True. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Aloran is tranked. Um, <laughs> Chapman's like, now what? And Elfangle has a little bit of a shrieky moment <laughs> and is quite fair to And she's like, now what? Now what? I just knocked out my own prince. And he feels sick <laughs> down to his bones, but there's no one else to turn to, no one else to make the decisions. It's still up to him. Yep. And he like forced himself to us, we have something to pick up. Then we are going to get as far from far from this evil place as the ship will go. And Chapman just does this satisfied little nod. And then Lauren comes over and touches some more activity. <laughs> I need to stop raising it like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> stop letting me podcast. They definitely um, <laughs> don't have titties. They don't. Like- no, no, no. I'm, I'm just talking about pecs in this regard, but no, okay. they, yeah. my, despite what the cover art might suggest, there is no <laughs> deliciously sculpted eight-pack and pec titties. <laughs> well, to be fair, like, I'm looking at the, the concept, the, the, cover the cover art right now, and there is no nip on the front there, yeah. so. There shouldn't be. Pecs, so. Consider the horror of oh, what oh. that would mean. I, I've actually drawn criticism of fan artists. Like, there are fans <laughs> out there who are like, if female Andalite, how no if female, if not have boobies. So I just, like, did a drawing of, like, a baby Andalite. Like, mom, this is extremely uncomfortable. And the mom just being like, I know, child, but the fan artists. You know? <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> yes. When I when I use the term Andalite titties, I refer specifically just to the part of the ch- rest, presumed yes. rib cage where the internal organs are. Yes, because it's fun to say. It is. It is fun to say. Else. It's true. Yeah, and it, it's and it's good, evocative. Like, it's that good Peggy in like the first Avenger, like reaching out to touch. Yes. 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 <laughs> That's exactly the image that conjured in my head. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene. It's so relatable. I'm ace, and I find that scene relatable. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Lauren comes over. Um, the wound had started to scab over, but the exertion of locking Lauren out had opened the wound again. So she takes. I do appreciate the uh, Lauren's like, despite the fact that a first aid kit was just gotten. <laughs> Lauren's just like, let me rip off more of my clothing to wrap your wounds. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love Lauren. She's just like, 
Ugh, I'm not gonna. I've, I've already made this lowbrow enough. Good, <laughs> Lauren's are good. Yeah. Um, Lauren's thirsty just, is what she is. Yeah, she is. Um, let me just like surreptitiously tear off my shirt and make it a crop top to bandage your wound. <laughs> Anywho, um, we get some good little Lauren and Alfangle back and forth. Like, is life always this insane for you, space cadets? Oh yes, I said bitterly. Infiltrate the tax on homeworld, help inspire attacks on civil war, mutiny against my prince, locate the time matrix, all in the company of a pair of strange two-legged aliens. Business as usual. And um, then I was like, hey, you made a joke. I didn't think you did humour, Elfangor. When the world goes mad, what else can you do? I thought of Arbron, still making little jokes even when his life was a wreck. I wonder if Arbron knew the world was mad. Oh, I'm having Marco feels. Yep. Um... Lauren just looked sad, but then she forced a smile again. Speaking of crazy, did I see you driving up in a bright yellow Mustang back there? <laughs> it was a wonderful machine. Primitive, but strangely enjoyable. Yeah. Uh. He lands the, the Skritna ship next to, or he lands the Jahar next to the wreckage of the Skritna ship. Grabs a shredder, goes outside, finds the time matrix, um, and he kind of marvels at it for a minute. It sat there amidst the wreckage, so harmless looking. If the Yerks had known this was here, they would have stopped at nothing to get it. When did you leave? <laughs> <laughs> my, my husband just came back. I never heard him leave. <laughs> um, uh, it was for this that so much horror had occurred. This most powerful of all weapons. It sat there amidst the wreckage, so harmless looking. If the Yerks had known this was here, they would have stopped at nothing to get it. It was lucky Lauren never told them while they held her ca captive. Lucky that Chapman never told them. Lucky. And lucky that I had been able to hold off the hork -Bajir. And lucky that we had been able to get away from the spaceport without being pursued. More luck. Too much luck. I really was a fool. I felt a cold shiver crawl up my spine. I was behind the time matrix, hidden from the Jahar, and suddenly I knew what was happening back inside the Jahar while I worked to free the time matrix. And I knew what I would see when I walked back around that off-white globe. Trembling with despair and exhaustion, I set the shredder for its next to lowest setting. I would have to duplicate Arbron's feet. Three quick shots. Yes. Three. I sucked in deep breaths and then I bolted at top speed. I leaped from behind the time matrix, Lauren raising a dragon beam in her hand. I fired. She dropped, twitching wildly from the energy pulse. Chapman fired, but he was weak and shaky from what he had just endured. I fired. The human dropped to the dirt. There was one more left. I knew it. I knew, and I knew that I had very little time. Sudden movement. I spun and fired. Missed. No. Not a complete miss. I had stunned his right arm. The hand holding the dragon beam dropped. Useless. He stood there, rage on his face, a Loren, War Prince Aloran Semeter Karas, but not really a Loren anymore. For the rest of my life, I would remember that moment, the moment when I looked for the first time upon the abomination. You see, a Loren was no longer a Loren. Very good, Arist Elfangor. It took you a while, but you figured it out in the end. Subvisor Seven, I said. Yes, but not for long. The Yerk who made the first Andalite controller? The Yerk who captured the fabled Time Matrix? I'd say I can count on a ma major promotion, wouldn't you? You made Chapman a controller. You were in his head. That Hork-Bajir I thought was you, just a trick. Of course. 
and another of my people made Lauren one of us, he sneered, and while you so considerately worked to clear away the time matrix, I revived a Lauren and transferred myself into him, the first and only Andalite controller. It was so kind of you to knock the old warrior out for me. I didn't know how I was ever going to take him. He was a wily creature. A bit mad, of course, but he knew war. You saw how ruthless he was, tossing out the poor hork who played the role of me. Yes, Aloran was a warrior. The truth hit me like a brick wall. It was true. I had made it possible for the subvisor to take control of Aloran. I had created the abomination. Chapman told us about the time matrix, of course. <laughs> subvisor 7 continues on his villain <laughs> monologue. <laughs> But we needed to sh you to show us where it was. The attack by the mountain taxons could have disrupted everything. But you know, in the end, it was convenient. It kept you from growing suspicious. You were too busy worrying about your fellow Aris. You didn't even have time to wonder how the two humans just happened to be waiting for you. You didn't wonder why my troops let you escape. And meanwhile, Elfangor's just, like, having a panic attack. Like, I created the abomination. I delivered the time matrix in the hand of this vile creature. I can't breathe. I failed so bad. The thing is, he was set up. <laughs> yes. He was set up so bad. And, like, he's a kid. Yes. A very traumatized But of course he's going to blame himself because of the kind of person he is. Yes, this is me looking at Jake. <laughs> like, you did not have all the information, kid, and you're going to blame yourself for this for the rest of your life. Yep. And, uh, Subvisor rubs it in. You know the best part? I really couldn't have let you burn that transport ship full of my people. Chapman didn't know about the Yerks in that transport, so neither did I. And if you'd gone along with Aloran, I'd, I'd have had to try to stop you. So would my brother Yerk and the human girl. It was one thing to sacrifice the poor fool who played the role of me, but ten thousand Yerks? No. I'd have had to act, and then you and Aloran together would have most likely made short work of me. But no, Elfangor is one of the good Andalites. You don't go in for slaughtering the helpless, do you? Ha <laughs> ha, wonderful. Your qualms delivered Aloran to me. Aloran and the Time Matrix, mine. And meanwhile, Elfangor's like, oh, well, I'm the one holding the shredder, though. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be dead by the time you get, by the time the bug fighters you're, you're sent for get here. And Aloran's like, no, you won't kill a helpless foe. I have no weapon. I'm your prisoner. I surrender to you, Elfangor. I surrender. He spread his hands in a gesture of helplessness as he this. laughed at me. I laughed. love this. <laughs> and Elfangor's like, you know what? Fuck you. Uh, I won't kill you. He knocks him the fuck out. He goes to Lauren, drags her on board the Jahar, and after a second's hesitation, drags Chapman aboard as well. Uh, he was just about to try dragging the subvisor onto the ship when the first wave of bug fight fighters come by. Uh, and Elfangor's like, oh shit, the bug fighters are here. He's never going to get the Jahar off the planet unless... <laughs> Had Subvisor 7 informed his people that he might be in an Andalite body? Surely. Surely he would have. He would have mm -hmm. had to just to avoid being accidentally shot by his own people. But could the Yerks tell one Andalite from another? He goes to the medkit, gets out a hypo, a stimulant, runs back to the unconscious subvisor, who is still outside of the ship, empties the stimulant into his bloodstream, runs back on the ship, closes the hatch, and launches while, wa while opening ship-to-ship -ship communications. A hork controller appears on the comm screen. It stares at him in fury and distaste, and he's like, 
What? You don't recognize your subvisor? I've done it, you fool! As I said I would, I have acquired an Andalite body. And the hork is like, super like, Uh, that's weird. I'm not sure if I should trust that. If I showed any hesitation, I was lost. If I was to pass as a Yurk subvisor, I could not show any doubt. You see the Andalite down on the ground? Yes, subvisor seven. Good! You're not blind as well as stupid. I want to see him run. Do you understand me? As soon as I have lifted off, make him run. And then, when he is good and tired, when his knees buckle with exhaustion, make him dead. Dead! And if you fail me, I will feed you to the taxons. Subvisor seven, out. And he fucking leaves. And, uh, Subvisor Seven is just now getting to his feet below them. Uh, <laughs> I'll give the Subvisor credit for one thing. He was not an idiot. He knew instantly what was happening. He broke into a run just as a hovering bugfighter fired a dragon beam near him. Uh, Elfangor goes back over to the Skritna wreck, latches the time matrix to, like, the belly of the ship, basically. Um, like a tractor beam kind of deal. Oh, it's lashed into place with energy ropes. Just yeah. the visual of like these weird little glowing version of like bungee cords strapping a mattress to the roof of your car. <laughs> Except yeah. it's this big off-white ten-foot sphere to the bottom of your ship. Yep. Fucking amazing. He begins to leave atmosphere and then the the Hork-Bajir controller like hails him again as like the planet Planet Control wants you to land. Respectfully <laughs> directs you to land. <laughs> hey, boss. Uh, uh, what, what, where, where are you going there? Wait, what you boss? doing, buddy? <laughs> yep. And uh, when when Elfangor doesn't, they know, but he's he's too far away by now, and he gets into zero space. Uh, and we cut to later. Lauren is awake and herself again. Um, where basically uh, the yerk in her head was near the end of its feeding cycle and Elfangor was like, look, you come out and I kill you fast or I let you starve to death. Your choice. Um, uh, <laughs> I made a deal with the hungry yerk. I could keep Lauren tied up and wait for the yerk to starve to death or the yerk could come out willingly. I agreed to put it in deep hibernation to freeze it. The Yerk decided hibernation was better than death by Candrona race starvation. I kept my word to the Yerk. After it crawled out of Lauren's ear, I froze it, and then I ejected it from the ship into the vacuum of real space. Someday, it might be found and revived. More likely, it would sink into the gravity well of a star and be incinerated. Especially since I made sure to eject it close to a sun. <sighs> Maybe that wasn't living up to the spirit of my deal with the Yerk, but somehow I just didn't care. My notions of proper behavior had brought disaster. I was a fool, a silly child living out storybook notions of decency and fairness. There was no decency in war. Lauren had tried to teach me that. I learned it too late. Uh, I think our boys allowed a little vindictiveness. A little bit, yes. Yeah. Um, he explains zero space to Lauren. Uh, Lauren asks where they're going, and Elfangor's like, Fuck if I know. Um, I wish that Chapman's like, fuck if he knows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chapman calls him out. He's like, he mm -hmm. screwed up really bad. Uh, gonna have trouble explaining that to people. Um, and <laughs> and Elfangor's like, 
what what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? He's he's traumatized to fucking back. Like yeah, and Lauren's doing her best, just like um she's like you gotta snap out of it, we're doing circles. And she's like, You did the best you could. You're a kid like me. And if Hang's like, look, I'm an heiress in the underlying military, I disobeyed my prince and caused him to be enslaved by the Yerks. The Yerks gonna learn everything about our defenses, everything he knows, everything he knew about the location of our ships. At least he wasn't a scientist, so we can't give them the technology, but he'll still be the greatest intelligence in Yerk history. And Chapman's just like, guess I was right to throw him with the Yerks, eh? Uh, you Yanderlites are going down unless, and Lauren's just like, shut up. Yeah. And then, but Chapman's one, unless you Yanderlites use the time matrix thing, go back in time, find that first little tribe of Yerk slugs, kill them, and the entire Yerk species is gone. God, and never even existed. What do they call that? Oh, yeah. Genocide. You up for a little genocide, Elfangor? Um, and just like, I just shook my head wearily. Don't waste your time taunting me, Chapman. It won't work. And Lauren's like, what do you mean? Uh, he's trying to goad me into using the time matrix. Remember, he's been a controller, however briefly. So Vista 7 left him instructions just in case something went wrong. Chapman knows that to use the time matrix, I'd have to return to real space. My guess is that the Yerks placed the homing beacon on the Jahar. If we return to normal space, we'll light up every Yerk sensor within a million light years. <laughs> I could guess from the dark rage on Chapman's face that I'd guessed correctly. Um, but suddenly, it was as if a light had gone on in my head. Wherever the Jahar emerged into real space, the Yerks would go tearing after it. No matter where. A trap. I could spring a trap. And he's like, I'm going to go back to the Star Sword, my old ship. Um, two dome ships. Plus the Jahar, enough fire power to handle just about anything the Yerks could muster. So, and that's his plan. It makes me so and, sad uh, that he's calling the Star Sword his old ship. Like, mm-hmm. like he's been gone from it for so long that it, like, to him, it feels like an eternity when it's probably only been what, like, two or three days in yeah, his. Yeah, it's been context. at most a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to him, it's already like, that's his whole, his old ship, his comfort, you know, like that's where mm-hmm. he started, but it's not his home now kind of a thing. Yeah. And he explains what he's doing. And Lauren's like, is this place we're going closer to Earth? And Elfangor doesn't lie to her. He's just like, no. He's like, Elfangor, am I ever going to get back home? Lauren, I will do my best. And which Chapman being Chapman, is like, and you've seen how good Elfangor's best is. You might as well kiss Earth goodbye. Such a dick. Um, and then lays out the plan. They'll emerge into real space. If we're lucky, they won't be far from the Star Sword. If we're even luckier, there'll be more ships. And then it'll be like an hour or so before the Yerks start showing up. And probably a space battle. And, and then they um, do something I wish they'd have done much earlier in the book. This, I guess, like, Laura's like, <laughs> is there anything I can do to help? Yes. Show me the best way to tie up a human. <laughs> they hogtie Chapman. <laughs> Lauren <laughs> looks so chuffed about it, and just like, and then ga- and then uh, raps, covers his mouth, just like now we won't have to listen to him. It took me a few seconds to understand. Many species communicate by making sounds with their mouth, but it never occurred to me that you could silence someone with a piece of hose. To silence an antelope, you have to knock him out. I said that this won't hurt him. No, unfortunately, <laughs> she smiled to show she had been joking. <laughs> After all she had been through, from being kidnapped by Skritnar to being made a controller, she could still laugh. I wonder if I'd been wrong to think humour was a weakness. I wonder if Arboron could still laugh. Yeah. 
And then we have another really cute moment between them. Mm-hmm. Where she's yeah, just like, yeah, all of this has been horrible and awful, and I know you're going to erase my memories anyway if I ever get home, but, like, she's so happy to have met him. She's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, I, I do this all over again because, like, I got to meet you. It's just like, oh. Yeah. And he's like, he explains how he saw these pictures that look amazing. <laughs> and is his is her home like that? And she's just like, yeah, there's places like that. It's called Yosemite. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> refers back to the ad he saw. And she just realizes that he'd seen a uh, a cigarette ad and how you don't want to do that. They're bad. They make you sick. And she's just like cackling at the notion of this. And it's very cute and good. Mm-hmm. And just like, oh, just pretty soon, even though I had no idea what was so funny, I was laughing too, although my laugh could only be heard by Lauren inside her own head. <laughs> it's just, oh, I love that. Yep. Um, but then uh, we get a little bit of explanation about why he isn't willing to just use the time matrix. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess I'm scared of the Elemists. And uh, Lauren doesn't say the Hoosowitz. That's me. Just like, and he explains a little bit about that the Time Elemists supposedly built the Time Matrix thousands and thousands of years ago and that they then vanished, the whole species. And um, Lauren's like, savvy enough, like, is it, do you think it's because they use the Time Matrix? And Alfang explains that nobody knows. Some people say they still exist, but they've moved beyond the normal space-time dimension. Some who say the Elemists are almost all-powerful, and Alfango shrugs. Of course, there are others that said they're gone forever, even that they never did exist. Now Andalite parents tell their children's stories about the Elemists. Like fairy tales. Fairy tales. Are fairy tales magical beings in human mythology? Not just fairies. We have elves and leprechauns and Santa Claus and hobbits and werewolves and vampires. We even have aliens from outer space. God, they're fucking cute. Um, <laughs> despite myself, I laugh. Yes, those outer space aliens are quite troublesome. Oh, yeah. And then he goes on a really cool explanation of, like, how powerful the Elemis could be. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Doesn't the Time Matrix prove that these Elemists are real? Lauren asks. Well, I don't know. But if Elemists are real, if they do really do live in dimensions beyond our own, then they have powers we could not imagine. Pretend? Never mind. And Lauren's like, no, tell me, unless you have something else to do, because we're stuck traveling through empty white uh okay well you know that space-time has 10 dimensions there are the normal dimensions of up down left right forward back then there's the fourth dimension which is time then there are six other dimensions but they are curled up into themselves so we don't see or feel them all we feel are three space dimensions plus time lauren nodded her head i wondered what this meant but she didn't ask me to stop so i went on Imagine if, instead of three normal space dimensions, we only had two. Imagine we were flat, and we couldn't go up or down, just in the other two directions. Call us the flatties, see? Like if we lived on a piece of paper, Lauren said. Exactly. It would be like we were drawings on a piece of paper. And if someone came along and drew a box around us, we could never get out, because the lines of the box would be walls. But what if a three-dimensional person came along? A three-dimensional person could lift that flatty right up out of the box. The flatty wouldn't even know what was happening because he's never gone up or down before. He doesn't even know up or down exist. You're saying we're like the flatties, except we're in three dimensions, not just two, so we're like cubies or something. Yes. So if some creature came along who existed in more dimensions than us, he'd be able to do things that would be impossible for us. Elemists. That's what they are? Maybe. 
Like I said, no one knows, but someone built the Time Matrix. Someone real, someone who isn't around anymore. Phew. So maybe we could use the Time Matrix and pop in and out of time. Or maybe we'd disappear, like the Elemists may have. Or maybe we'd just make these Elemists mad, Lauren said. Exactly. But if you gave the Time Matrix to your people, won't they use it anyway, even with all the risks? A week ago, I'd have said absolutely not. I'd have said we Andalites don't do things like that, not even in war. But now, whatever Aloran did on that hork planet, it was wrong, wasn't it? I stared at her with my main eyes. Lauren, I don't know what's right or wrong anymore. I just don't. Uh-uh. <laughs> the computer signals that they're going back to space, and he's like, and by the way, if we do survive all this and I get you back to Earth, could you show me this place with the grass and trees and tall waterfalls? It's a date. Could we have a Mustang there, too? <laughs> she put her arm around my waist and looked deep into my eyes with her two tiny blue human eyes. Anything you want, Elfangor. Just no white cylinders. <clears throat> but I just love this description of the Elemists mm. because it's it like makes instant sense. Yeah. At least I apologize they are to the Andalites. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a similar description used to discuss like eldritch creatures mm -hmm. which you know i know i keep coming back to that but it's a frame of reference i like it's but also one, just like though. the notion of our ability to comprehend what's around us and reverting back to a lesser thing or a less dimensions also there's something about like uh people worshiping eldritch entities is like ants worshiping people just mm -hmm. like we're on such a different scale of otherness yeah but, yeah well, like yeah. I kind of it, like linking it to the eldritch horror thing, or eldritch entities. It's kind of like I love the theory that like a lot of the eldritch beings in Lovecraftian esque stories is that they don't want to hurt us. It's literally just that our minds cannot comprehend them, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. what hurts us. It's like trying to comprehend yeah. something that you you can't really see the full existence of. Again, like with that really good description of like the flatties versus the cubies versus whatever mm -hmm. an elemist is. Yeah, we um, lack the capabilities because we are shaped by our experience of grasping that. It's one of the reasons I like the dynamic in um, Call of Cthulhu, the game, in mm -hmm. that the more intelligent you are, like the more understanding you have an ability to reckon with more complicated concepts, the more damaged you are going to be because yeah. you can start to comprehend it but can't fully. It's like being aware of your own shortfall Mm -hmm. So know, knowing just enough to know you do not and cannot understand it's, this. It's literally a case of ignorance is bliss. And yeah, absolutely. Like you, like a, a, I want to say lesser. Somebody with like less knowledge would just accept it as one thing. Whereas, like, oh, that's a really weird looking deer. Oh, shout out to Izzy. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a strange looking deer. Says one person. Okay, fine. Walks off. Just like. Why is that body shifting? What I am is that is not a deer. That is something completely fucking other. Yeah. And then your brain starts to crack because you yeah. know just how beyond your comprehension it is and you can't reckon with it. Well, like to tap you lack into the that means to do brain so. A little bit. Um, mm. Like our brains are so, we are programmed to see patterns. Mm -hmm. That is like one of the reasons yes. our ancestors survived so long. It's like mm -hmm. our brain is trying to find a pattern, but like, how do you find one pattern when this creature could potentially fit 10, 20 different things? 
you know mm-hmm. yeah. so our brain's like there's a pattern there oh wait there's another pattern there. oh it's too it's like a fractal yes yeah it's very cool and good mm-hmm. shout out to ka for doing because also what i appreciate about that is it's simple enough that a child could get that and go oh okay cool yeah and it's it yeah. just a very of, concise um... it's a concise way of describing what could be a very complicated thing mm-hmm. well did, did have any either of you two read a, a wrinkle in time Yes. Not yet, no. I, I only read that book once as a kid. I remember, like, really Same. not liking it as a kid. Like, I remember really disliking it. But there's a scene where, like, the angels, question mark, whatever the two beings are, take the kids to a two-dimensional plane. And, like, they literally nearly kill the kids because human beings are yeah. not built to be two-dimensional. So, like, when they yeah. pop them back to a three-dimensional plane, they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, we forgot you had organs and couldn't just be flat. Sometimes we just like to be flat. And they're just so the kids are like gasping for breath because they're trying mm-hmm. to breathe and get their lungs back yeah. to working. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Let's, so, let's get it. Right. So they let's pop take out this home. Yeah. yeah. They come out of Z-Space into a nebula. It is beautiful. And the Star Sword is here. Um, the Star Sword and... is always here. Yeah. Uh, And he's hoping that the nebula will confuse the sensors. No, he's looking for the Andalite vessels conducting a sensor sweep, but it takes him longer than usual because the nebula is the dust is confusing it. Um, But eventually they do. uh, He does hail the star sword. um, And the 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 captain speaking back is like, we're under attack. uh, But then he he. He loses the signal. He had it just long enough to get a location fix. They go to maximum burn. Um, and which is in, an interesting choice because it makes me wonder how much time passed on the Star Sword mm-hmm. while they were trying to get to them. Um, uh, at maximum burn, it took less than 10 minutes for us to be able to spot the Great Dome ship. She came up on my view screen at high magnification. She looked like a glowing steel stick with a bright half ball on one end. Her engines were off. In the space around her were a dozen or more of our fighters. But what caught my attention were the asteroids. Rough, dark, tumbling rocks. The Star Sword seemed to be in the middle of an asteroid field. Only that was unlikely. Asteroids orbited stars. There was no star close enough to hold an asteroid field in his gravity. And Lauren points out that the asteroids are moving. Uh, it's, it's, this is just one of the most bonkers and horrifying concepts in this book. The asteroids are moving uh, with, like, like a ship. Like they sprout a, a comet-like tail of plasma as they move it turns changes course and shoots towards one of the fighters uh the fighter fires a full power shredder blast at the asteroid the asteroid just kind of glows and then speeds up uh the fighter turns to run the asteroid accelerates and then it hits it extends an arm strikes the fighter uh, Elfangor sees a tiny puff as the air was squeezed from the ship. And then the rock simply grew over the doomed ship. It grew swift, unstoppable, until, within seconds, the entire fighter was covered by living rock. The asteroid had eaten a fighter. 
So living asteroids are a thing. Say again? I love how terrifying these things are. They're so terrifying. How do you fight something that eats your energy? Like, how do you fight something that eats your weapons? Yeah. And... And they're watching, and then just like a second fighter gets swallowed up by another one of these living rocks. Mm-hmm. And just like, and Elfang's <laughs> like, no, it'll be fine. The star sword's going to start shooting. A dome ship shredders can blow chunks off a planet. They'll wipe these things out. The main shredders fire off the star sword. And the asteroid glows. And it doesn't explode. It doesn't disintegrate. It doesn't melt. It turns. And these asteroids swarm the star sword. Yep. yep. And he uh, twigs like they need to go to zero space. Yeah. Um, one of the fighter pilots uh, does the same sort of thing. The engines glow, and then it's blocked by one of these asteroids. And um, yeah, well, one of the, we actually see like a quote on screen death of an mm-hmm. this andalite pilot being blown out of the ship. And then dying mm-hmm. in the cold of space. And Lauren figures mm-hmm. out that the energy from the engines and the weapons are attracting the asteroids. Um, uh, Elfangor tries to get the message through, uh, but uh, then things get worse because Elfangor just can't have a good time ever. Uh, a, a pool ship shows up. Because Followed the Yerks quickly are here. by the blade ship. Because guess who's here, fucks? <laughs> <laughs> He's always fucking here. <laughs> but yeah, I love how the blade ship's described like jet black, so it's barely visible in space. Mm-hmm. A hard-edged diamond attached to a, a long triangular shaft, twin engines. Again, that that axe shape. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, don't ask me how I knew I don't believe in psychic things although some Andalites do but still I knew who was in that blade ship I felt cold hatred hatred of that black ship hatred of the abomination I'd helped to create so he's still alive I whispered this time no mercy but space is filling up there's Yerk ships, Andalite ships these impossible asteroids but the Yerks are thousands of miles behind Elfangor is thousands of miles from the Andalite fleet. Um, and they would never be looking for murderous asteroids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, uh, Silver Seven, aka, or well, with the face of Aloran Semitur Karash, shows up on the screen. The familiar face showing an evil, or shone with an evil that I cannot describe. It's like, and then just like, ah, Elfangor, I believe. Still have the time matrix, I hope. I'm here to take it from you. Um, I'd yet switched on my own image for him to see. I had to think fast. I grabbed a handheld shredder and carefully set it on its lowest panel. Lauren, listen. The sub-visitor doesn't know you are still you answer the controller. Take this, stand behind me where he can see you when I switch on my screen. Give me a few seconds to talk, then fire this. But miss me, okay? I got it. <laughs> so Subvisor 7, you survived. Too bad. Um <laughs> I did survive, but you almost got me there. You really did. And by the way, it's no longer Subvisor 7. I am the first Yerk to capture an Andalite body. I've already delivered more intelligence on Andalite fleet deployment than a century of spine could have yielded. So it's not Subvisor anything anymore. You're addressing Visser 32. 
I love how he brags about just... this. Like, like mm-hmm. Elfingor should mm-hmm. know what that means, or mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> also, the banter yeah. between these two just already like ah yes, mm-hmm. good banter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're still just a slug, as far as I'm concerned. You want the time matrix? Come and take it from me, I promise you. At which point, Lauren fires the shredder. Elfangor sells it, mm-hmm. uh, turning the the screen off in the process of falling. And Lauren's just like, "You want this back?" And Elfangor's like, "No, you keep it. You did well. Perfect timing." And she's just like, "Is this gonna work?" And it's just like, "If it doesn't, neither of us are going to the yes, yes, am I? Yes, yes, am I? I don't know how to pronounce that. Yes, yes, am I? It's one of those words I know hearing mm-hmm. rather than written down. Yeah, but yeah, it's, and, it's um, a tricky she's one. Just Even like, we joke about yeah. it. Yeah, just like you picked a great time to learn how to joke, Elfangor. Yep. Um, which is good and cute. <laughs> Come to course, me, Visser, whatever your number is now. <laughs> adorable. Um, but yeah. He gets yeah. the shredders ready to go, he's calm, and then fucking Chapman. Yep. yep. Has freed his legs, kicks out Lauren's legs. Yeah. Um <laughs> Because basically Elfangor's plan is to wait until the blade ship is close enough and then just fire directly into its belly with the Jahar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, Chapman gets the shredder, uh, <laughs> knocks out Lauren. Uh, well, knocks down Lauren. She's Knocks still... down Lauren. I th- mm, yeah, knocks, yeah, yeah, knocks down, down Lauren. She goes down hard and is able mm-hmm. to get the shredder. He takes a shot at um, Alfango, sort of like numbs a couple of his uh, his left arm and left foreleg. But, mm-hmm. um, he goes down. He can barely stand. He can stand, but can't really move. She's like, how do you like it, Andalite? Goes to stand up, and Lauren just fucking still on the floor, kicks Chapman in the nuts. <laughs> I believe this kick was just painful. Like, both her artificial hoofs. Yeah, just like both her artificial hoofs hit Chapman right where his legs joined his body. <laughs> he grabbed himself with both hands, still clutching the shredder. I believe the kick was painful. She's like, oof, this. And then she just gives him a fuck. She jumps up off the floor and delivers an impossibly high kick to Chapman under the chin. And uh, she's like, you know, Chapman, you're really making the human race look bad. You are seriously embarrassing me. (laughs) And he's just like, whose side are you on? She's like, not yours. And she just like fires the shudder and Chapman goes limp. Yeah. Um, Which is dope as hell. We love Lauren. We stan. Yep. Um, but uh the blade ship locks on with the Jahar. Yep. And the hatch begins to open. Yeah, they missed their golden opportunity, but they're not going down yet. Uh Elfangor's still half paralyzed. Lauren shoots through the hatch door and a Hork Bajir warrior uh basically is stunned. Um but there's an Andalite. Uh and yeah, and so the controllers fire into the into the cockpit of the Jahar. They hit Lauren, knock her unconscious. Um, it, she bl- knocks into Elfangor. They go down in a mess of limbs. Um, and uh, what is it? Visser thirty two boards mm-hmm. the yeah. Jahar. And then uh, fucking credit to Elfangor. He's just like he's got one chance, and then mm-hmm. he can let the yak kill him. But he. Uh, swings his tail, aiming blind, misses the visor, but he's not aiming for him. Mm-hmm. He hits the control panel, which fires the shredders point blank mm-hmm. into the belly of the blade ship. Visor thirty two is unimpressed. <laughs> um, does a does a good screaming dramatic no, uh, but the blade ship is torn free from 
the jahar. Um, but the, that means the hatch is open. Everything is spinning. Everything that's not bolted down is going towards this open hatch. And it's chaos. Chapman's unconscious body sliding towards the opening. The Vissa's knocked down. Uh, Vissa 32 still aiming his gun. Sorry, his dragon beam. I'm <laughs> just like, you're a real source of agitation, Elfangor. Now die. <laughs> um, but yeah, he just... Um, Elfangor whips his tail. Um, something hits the ship hard enough to yeah. uh, that the uh, the shot misses. Um, and the the ship is fucking spinning. The air is running out. Lauren's body's on the verge of sliding towards the hatch, but now the automatic safety devices are kicking in. But the blade ship is one shot is still nearby. One of the asteroids is running up close. Is like charging. Yeah, and yeah. begins to can start to consume the Jahar. Yeah, the asteroid latched onto the poor dying Jahar, and in wild, crazy pitching flashes as I was tossed helplessly, I saw the window going dark. Half covered now, half covered by living rock, the asteroid had us. I was slammed violently by acceleration as the asteroid moved away from the battlefield, holding the Jahar in its death grip. The Jahar's compensators were off now, the ship was half dead. Half swooning from lack of air, I staggered up, fighting the insane force of acceleration. Air. We needed air. The emergency environmental power unit should have come on, but the ship's power was dead, drained away by the energy-eating asteroid. Air! My lungs screamed, my hearts hammered madly, circulating useless blood. The manual and emergency tanks. I had to. To. But maybe it didn't matter. Maybe it was pointless to fight. Arbron, gone. Aloran, worse than gone. Terrible things, terrible sights. Let it all end. I was fine without air. Fine to suck with your lungs and feel nothing. I was sinking down, down, down. No need to worry. Nothing to be afraid of. Just let it end, Elfangor. Just let it end. And that's the end of part two. So you know. Things are great. Things are fine. <laughs> this is fine. Just sorry. Just peaky. <laughs> mm -hmm. um and yeah we're uh, that's gonna be it for today yeah it's uh consider this uh our shout out to the staggered release and not because scheduling <laughs> is a pain in the butt and we talk a lot <laughs> this is entirely planned we were like we're absolutely gonna do three recordings for the andalite chronicles yeah great 100%. definitely planned yep <laughs> We just wanted to leave y'all with a cliffhanger. Uh-huh. Is is what we wanted to do. 100%. We absolutely planned this. <laughs> I love that the that the so part 2 is is called a Lauren's choice. Um mm. part 3 is an alien dies. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you know, not ominous at all. Uh nope. <laughs> The subtlety of a brick. Mm-hmm. But, uh... So, uh, how, how did y'all enjoy this part? Sheesh. <sighs> this part always... It goes always, hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's the middle, and it... You take a big old... You take a big old bite, and you just kind of sit there and go, oh. There is so much in this book, and it... Yeah. Like, for all the moments of lightness and the great visuals, like... It does feel like... This and one it just goes keeps harder. coming and it just keeps coming and it just keeps coming yes. and it just keeps coming. 
<laughs> yep. Yep. We don't we don't get as much lighthearted breaks. No. No. It it keeps its momentum pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I I would have been so mad if I'd had to, if I'd read that and then I was just like, <laughs> what? What? It's thrown the book. Just be like, no, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate how they aren't scared to paint complicated people. Yeah, I I like I've said before, but the respect the. Ka has for their readers, mm-hmm. like they don't talk down to children. It's like, no, you're going to hear a complicated people, and we're going to lay out what they're like, and you can make choices about them. Yeah, it's not like it doesn't so make. Yeah, but it it doesn't like not make judgments on bad acts, but also there's just like there are different perspectives on things, and that doesn't mean that the thing isn't bad, but also you can be led to believe things. Yeah. And I, I like that it encourages questioning of what you assume you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A really like good how... pull against the oh. Go ahead. A really good it, it's a really good pull against like pointing out like the propaganda machine and again like your own arrogance because there are some things that Vista 3 says that are correct. Like he calls the mm-hmm. Andalites out on some stuff. And What's it's that again fucking meme about the worst person you know has made a good point. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um yeah. it's kind of like it's it's again that tragedy of war because like there are times in the books where you see that there's a lot of Yurks out there who are actually like they're not bad people. Like some there's some mm-hmm. Yurks out there who are actually like fairly decent creatures. It's just they are trained and taught like this is the way we will find a happy life, and that's all they know. And they also mm-hmm. have, like, yeah, they get as much propaganda about the Andalites as the Andalites get about them. But mm-hmm. Mr. Three knows, because he's been fighting from, like, the get-go. So, like, he knows Andalites. He knows the kind of lies that they are told and what they think about themselves. So mm-hmm. it's, like, pointing out that, like, even on, like, air quotes, the bad side, sometimes they have points that, even if you don't want to admit mm-hmm. it, they're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean... And I appreciate that, regardless of how right he might be in any, his vindictiveness is what you clearly paint. He's su- yes. such a clear picture is painted. I love the clearly how quickly he's gotten a hold of um, Aloran mm-hmm. and is already mining Aloran's mind. Yeah. Just goes to paint just how quickly a Yerk can do that to a person. Yeah. Yep. 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 Mm. Uh, so we have a couple of questions that are relevant to this part of the book. Uh, Amias, Amias, not sure. How do we feel about the taxons now? Hmm. Like, I feel bad because, like, I still don't really like the taxons, but I definitely (laughs) sympathize with them because I know they get, like, a really bad shake throughout the whole series. And it's like, they don't, they don't deserve it. They really, like, Mm -hmm. a part of me also wonders, sorry. Mm Mm-hmm. No, you but, please continue. Okay, but a part of me also wonders that, like, if the Yurks hadn't come along, a part of me wonders that the Taxons might have just gone extinct on their own mm. because they're living on a dying world and they are clearly going down an evolutionary path that is leading towards an unsustainable, mm. like, system. Yeah. Like, they can't be hungry. You can't survive if you are constantly on the edge of being hungry. They're like, 
They're like shrews, but ramped up to a thousand, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's just like part of me is just like, it's sad, but like the Yerks might have saved the taxon species to an extent in a very sad and twisted way. Mm -hmm. Like they're definitely fine. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, I definitely find them much more interesting Mm -hmm. after getting this perspective on what they're like and where they come from and how they do have like differences. It's like, Regardless on individual entities, and again, while not to the extent of the Hawk Vajir, you do, like Kit was saying, like you can't help but feel sympathy towards that. And to have a point of view character be a taxon and talk about the hunger and what it is like. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they just become much more real, I suppose, mm-hmm. and fleshed yeah. out. Yeah. They, they cease to be a goon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Again, and like with the Hawk Vision, the more we know about them, the hot, the more it is for us to see the terrible things the animals are made to do, like like the way they have to view the taxons and the way they end up killing taxons. Mm-hmm. Just like because we know no more about them, mm-hmm. it paints the horror of war even more because it's not like this is not just a faceless thing that you can pretend is a garbage yeah. bag that mm-hmm. you burst. This is a living, like it was saying earlier, sentient creature that is hungry all the time mm-hmm. yep you know that's that's fun yep. yeah uh amias also asks what the fuck is up with chapman <laughs> what the fuck is up with chapman you've been asking yeah. that like, since book one yeah i feel like we ch- went into mm-hmm. that a little bit yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I know he's going to get his memories wiped and the retconning and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, there is that notion. And just in the same way that we know that there are yurks who want peace, mm-hmm. there are Andalites who are deeply fucked up. Mm-hmm. Some humans are assholes. <laughs> yeah. In fact. <laughs> in fact. But what I like is that like, we don't get to know Chapman's tragic backstory. He could have a really shitty home life. Mm-hmm. that has made him very shrewd very I am going to take every opportunity I, I get because yeah. the thing is he's clearly a very smart savvy person and to make things sad as I am wont to do <laughs> that could be Marco so mm-hmm. easily mm-hmm. yeah I, I so do, easily I do partially get the feeling that some of Chapman's attitude and behavior is simply for plot convenience absolutely and like like i feel like a lot of it is just plot convenience what chapman does in this book matters only in that it moves the plot forward because his later character arc like you could never read the andalite chronicles and it would have no impact on chapman's Mm -hmm, story in the main series unlike other characters well we've we've talked before about how really they could have used anybody it could have just been somebody Mm -hmm. we never see again for all the and, impact that it has. Yeah. It just it just means that we have a frame of reference for this Chapman that is in yeah. this book, so we know who it is. But I, I do kind of like that she used Chapman because it's it's something familiar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the way I described it in the in the Discord way back when I was first reading this again. Um is like if you really attempt to put yourself in Chapman's shoes, you kind of have to really try because yeah. 
you're he's not you're pleasant. really really strongly giving him the benefit of the doubt here but like you're just fucking around in your life one day when you are abducted by aliens uh which first of all there are aliens mm-hmm. uh <laughs> and uh you're aboard the alien ship when new aliens show up so second of all there's more than one kind of alien <laughs> uh these other in- aliens show up and they basically forcibly take you off of the scritna ship they do it under the guise of oh we're rescuing you but you also know that uh, like this ship was fired upon for apparently no reason they kidnapped you and lauren and stole all of the data off the scritna ship and you test them and you realize, yes, these people probably are as sanctimonious as you think. Um, they promise to take you home. Okay, fine. I don't like it, but I'll go along with it. They promise to take you home. On the way to take you home, they're mining through this data and they tell you that they're going to erase your memories. Like the sanctimonious pieces of shit you know that they are. Well, I didn't expect anything different. But on the way home, they find this other thing, and my life is worth so little that they just fuck off towards that. It's not even a question as to whether we return the humans first. Uh, everything on the way to the Taxon homeworld happens. You have no reason to expect that the Andalites who left you alone on this ship with the other human to go off and be super spies on a Taxon homeworld in the middle of enemy territory, you honestly have no reason to expect that they'll come back. Yeah. Um, you managed to get the Jahar working, but being able to fly it in regular space is probably extremely different from trying to navigate back to Earth. Uh... And so you go towards the only planet that's nearby. You figure out how to land. Probably you manage to activate whatever autopilot is on it. And you realize, all right, so I'm landing in the middle of this enemy territory. They told me that these Yerks just want to enslave things. How do I not die immediately? How do I come out of this without just being a slave? Oh, I know. <laughs> um, I'll... I'll auction off the entirety of earth because it's literally the only leverage he has is mm. that knowledge and the knowledge of the time matrix he doesn't know what the yurks are he doesn't know what to expect from the yurks because they he, the only thing he's heard from them is from the andalites and you can't trust the andalites so therefore maybe they're totally wrong uh who knows what the yurks promised him uh in that time and even when Subvisor 7 infested him, who knows what Subvisor 7 promised him? Probably power, let's be real. Um, and but being able to go home. He wants power. Yeah. And we'll keep you and yours safe and happy. Um, don't worry, we won't do anything to you. The Andalites are big liars and they would sooner destroy your whole planet than let you fall to us like we're probably casually we're clearly... mentioned what happened to the hawk Bajir homeworld yeah because he was again this or was there or visa 3 was there so mm-hmm. yep he saw it firsthand 
And so you agree to go along with it. Because, frankly, what other choice do you have? If you fight it, you're already infested. It's just going to make things worse. And so the rest of this happens. Yeah. And I, like, it's shitty. And everyone likes to think, like, no, I would be the one who would fight like hell in that situation. Um, but I think it is disingenuous to think that everybody would react like the quote-unquote hero in that situation. Absolutely. Um, like, it's not a fun thing to confront, because a lot of people do want to think they would do the good thing, the honorable thing, the heroic mm -hmm. thing. But they're even taking rally out of it. Like, if you just want, if you're desperate to survive, and especially if you've been powerless in your life or, and been made to feel powerless time and time and time mm -hmm. again, being given a sliver of agency, you might take it. Heck, even yeah. in a strange way, for some people, being infested might have been getting that power because all of a sudden you have, like, it's your body, but, like, you're still on the ride. You have the resources of, like, this entire empire now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're in on the secret. You're part of something bigger. It's part of something cult. bigger. Yep. Yeah. Because uh, cults it's... do screwy things to a person, even without little slugs in their brains. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, also, like, one, I think everything that Danielle just said, but two, and two, though, there are some people that just are quite happy to sell other people out. Yep. Yeah. We see it time and time again. Some people just generally have views where they view other people as less than them. Yeah. That's just shitty, and it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Some people suck. Yep. It's... uh. And I think I think that is really what's the authorial decision here is to show the two sides of humanity. You have what you hope humanity is, which is like the optimistic sees aliens and is just filled with wonder and curiosity and wants mm -hmm. to to learn more. And the people who are like, fuck this, fuck <laughs> everything about it. Um, it's like I which said I think, first you know, book, Chapman's the mm -hmm. reality check. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 the perspective that is probably the most realistic in this situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't I don't think very many people would be a Lauren here. Yeah. Like they'd probably be somewhere in between, frankly. Mm -hmm. These are two extremes. But like she, she does say <laughs> that her life before this was very boring and dull. So mm -hmm. like for her like, you know, like, for Chapman, he wants to survive. For her, this is almost like an escape, like a fantasy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, this is very much Rose going along with the Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Any more, any more for now, or are the rest going to be post The rest three? are, are post-book three, I think. All right. So, what was your favorite part? Oh. Did anything surprise you? God, I love the Mustang. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. <laughs> The image of him just like driving across a desert. Mm hmm. Even well, as a kid, that scene always Pepper. stuck with me. Mm hmm. What was that, Jane? It of Dr. Pepper. Yep. <laughs> Do you think Vandalites can get sugar rushes in their natural form? Hmm. Like, uh, we know, we know well, he describes. But... Right. He describes grass as being potentially sweet so i imagine that there's a difference between sweet things and not so because mm -hmm. like it, it's interesting i mean plants that... 
like amplites don't have like they have a sense of smell so like i always assumed that they had to have some kind of sense of taste but it's just mm-hmm. not analogous to a human sense of taste yeah because like and they, they only eat grass they their whole lives yeah <laughs> It's like they do have grasses they prefer and things like that. But like there, it's implied that there are grasses that do have like subtly different flavors to them. Mm-hmm. I guess like not to throw it's, it's like it's like taking a European and throwing them into India for like the first time back in like ye old <laughs> days. And all of a sudden they're like, holy crap, what's this red stuff? Oh, holy crap. Ow, my tongue <laughs> is burning. My face hurts. Is your face supposed to hurt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Jade? Man. There's lots of things I like for different reasons, I think. Mm-hmm. There's just lots of such strong visuals that it's genuinely hard for me to pick a, a favorite part of that one. Mm-hmm. So, like, just the the iconicness of the Mustang is yeah. something. But, like, from a narrative, like, it hard but like the face-off between Elfangor and Arbron is yeah. fantastically well written yeah um also the moment on the gangplank up to the Jahar mm-hmm. where Arbron the shit with Arbron I'm gonna yeah. just say it. <laughs> unsurprisingly Jade and their Marco loving ass is all here about Arbron <laughs> and I'm not sorry don't be nope it's you're phenomenal yep He's a very for like the fact that we only get him for like at least for this book for now. It's he's very well written. Mm. Just this character who comes in has a very good gut punch of an arc, of an arc and then fades back into the background. Yep, it's and I like that we go along with Elfangor on that character arc where it's like first we're like who the fuck is this guy, uh, and then we kind of like warm up to him because he's the the comrade kind of mm-hmm. uh team under Aloran and like mm-hmm. Aloran's kind of scary. We're gonna work together to make sure that we're okay. Um and then to like really appreciating Arbron and everything he brings and being mm-hmm. so devastated by the loss of him. Yeah. Yeah. Forge and fire brotherhood. <laughs> a good shit. It's good shit. It's, it's a good, good shit. shit. Anything surprise you? I honestly... I mean... Sorry, go ahead. Go on, Kat. No, please. Like, I honestly... Sorry. I honestly forgot how just frank this part of the book is. Like, it strips most everything away. Like, there's very little humor. And I feel like that's part of why I didn't remember it as well as, like, the first half or even the second half of the book. Mm -hmm. Because, like... um. Or last half, rather. Because, like, there's very little to relieve what has happened. Like, again, I think that's one reason the Mustang yeah. scene stands out so sharply. It's like, it's the one yeah. really, like, like breather Bright that we spot. get yeah. in the entire section. Because mm-hmm. everything else is just bam, bam, bam. And, like, part of me is like, wow, I do not remember being this brutal, this fast. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, I think the brutality of the book, both in terms of what we see and also some of the conversations that it had. Mm-hmm. Like, there's been dark moments and in the other books, but like, this one is like so there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. That's the end. That's the end of Light Chronicles part two.
join us just, next time for part three. We're all just sitting here like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. That sure was a book. God. <laughs> uh, Kit, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kit. <laughs> Again. And thank you for joining us preemptively next time. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're a joy to I have. I awake this time. <laughs> yeah. uh, where can people find you on the Twitter? And everything uh, if you want people to find you <laughs> kitsy in a box on twitter.com all one word okay i do, uh, art and do you have anything else and stuff like that yeah um definitely commission her for things because her art is amazing and Get a super adorable <gasps> you won't want uh. <laughs> all right uh, my co-host has been Jade. You can find them on the internet at Jade Oxford Rose. You can find their home podcast, Follow the Leader, at FTLcast on Twitter. Uh, it is a actual play podcast focused on uh, GM-less tabletop games where they tell a variety of stories with the same cast of characters. Uh, if you like AUs, if that is a sort of fandom thing that you enjoy, you will enjoy Follow the Leader. I promise you. Um, I was going to say, and if you want an Animorphs AU specifically, same <laughs> concept, different characters in early noughties Boston, you can check out uh, Dumb Kids Playing Hero at DKPHpod on Twitter. Danielle runs it. Uh, we play a game that they wrote that's a hack of Blades in the Dark called Idiot Teenagers with a Death Wish. It's going great for them. <laughs> I'm one of the characters. It's fun. It's great. Yeah, they're having a um, phenomenal yeah. time. Yeah. And someday uh, and my as brain I said, will let me listen to it. You're in for a treat. Um, <laughs> as I said, uh, Danielle GMs that. You can find them on Twitter at redtailedhawk90. That game I mentioned plus other ones they've written at itch.io, redtailedhawk90 also. And if actual play is your thing and you like found family, you like bastard people doing heists, you like robots having emotions and having emotions about robots check out uh the room where it happened at room where pod on twitter danielle's one of the players in that game it's fucking great i'm super behind right now because depression kicked my audio processing's ass but mm. you should go listen to it because it's great lovely yeah. people lovely story have feelings mm -hmm. Peace. all right <laughs> let's do a clap Let's do okay. a clap. Let me stop talking. <laughs> Let's go take a break before we record dumb kids in 40 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Oh my god, God's uh, feet. Minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh clap at 05? 05.